Dr. Robert Shapiro is in the house. Good to have him back. He is the chairman of Sonicon, an economic advisory firm. Internationally known economist, Dr. Shapiro is, and is he advised, among others, President Bill Clinton, Vice President Al Gore Jr., British Prime Ministers Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, and then U.S. Senators Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Dr. Shapiro, always a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. Hi, it's always a pleasure to be here, Leslie. Um, you wrote a piece entitled The 2016 Politics of Income Stagnation and Decline. Um, so let's break this down. Uh, your opening sentence is America has a big income uh, income problem, and you're talking about the incomes of most Americans, and you say it largely stopped growing around 2002. Dr. Shapiro, what about those of you, uh, those out there listening that would say, Dr. Shapiro, I've heard you on Leslie's show before, and you said the economy's improving and we're going in the right direction. So how come so many Americans' incomes, uh, or largely all American incomes, stopped growing unless you're a 1% or 2% or around 2002? Well, it's actually probably um, uh, about one-third of the country saw were in groups whose incomes were rising and two-thirds were not. Um, and the fact is, it is getting a little better. It was worse in the Bush expansion than it is actually in the Obama expansion. But when I said the economy is recovering and, you know, getting back on track, remember what the reference point was, <laughs> Leslie. The reference point was the worst financial crisis and deepest recession in 80 years. And so we're coming back from that. Uh, the whole world is still coming back from that. Uh, and so relative to that, we, we have restabilized the overall economy and growth is reasonable if not really strong um, and frankly we've done it more successfully than the other advanced economies than either the big european economies or japan uh, which have really been in and out of mild recession ever since the deep recession ended that is since 2010 uh, we've had pretty good growth and pretty good job gains. What we haven't had is very strong income gains along with the job gains. And that's a, that's a development that we first saw in the first part of the last decade and which has persisted into the second decade uh, of this century, and that's a problem we have to address. And so people understand, why is it that incomes wouldn't go up when you have job creation on the rise once again, you know, since the recession, mm -hmm. and you have the economy turning around, housing prices go back up, why doesn't everything have a domino effect with regard to money, but an opposite domino effect, like, you know, moving up in the right, right direction with incomes right. as a part of that? Well, um, because, <laughs> unfortunately, economies are more complicated. Uh, in this case, what you have is you have two big changes in the economy over the last 15 to 20 years. One is this explosion of economic globalization, where... American companies and American workers are now competing with tens of thousands of businesses 
in Asia and Latin America and Eastern Europe that didn't exist 20 years ago. Um, and in addition, um, Dr. Shapiro, hold on. We're coming to a, means, uh, Dr. Shapiro, my apologies because I know I didn't ask you one sentence uh, answer uh, question <laughs> to respond in one sentence. We'll be back right after this quick break. More with Dr. Robert Shapiro, a world renowned economist, right after this. Don't go away. Leslie Marshall, The Simple Truth in a Complicated World. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Marshall, I've told you before that if you eat too much or you eat the wrong foods, even if you sleep in the wrong position, all of those things could lead to an upset stomach. You know, experts say that nearly all of us eventually develop some sort of digestive problems because as we age, our stomachs produce less of the enzymes needed to break down food. So what do I do when I have that queasy, uneasy, reflexy feeling? I take a gutsy, chewy tablet. Gutsy Chewy is an oral and digestive supplement, and best of all, it's natural. Gutsy Chewies were invented by my buddy, Dr. Doug Hagigi. He's a gastroenterologist and a dentist, and he blended natural heartburn remedies like papaya, licorice root, and apple cider vinegar, and then he added calcium, magnesium, and xylitol for oral health as well. When you put all those things together... It boosts your body's natural defense against heartburn and reflux. Gutsy Chewies are gluten-free, lactose-free. They come in great flavors like citrus and wildberry. So when you, like me, get that queasy, uneasy, reflexy feeling, take Gutsy Chewy. You'll feel better, and it's better for your health. Learn more at GutsyProducts.com or call 855-GO-GUTSY. That's 855-484-8879. That's GutsyProducts.com. Rejoining us in this hour is Dr. Robert Shapiro. You can join us as well. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number. We're talking about his piece entitled The 2016 Politics of Income Stagnation and Decline. And before the break, I asked Dr. Shapiro, hey, look, we have more jobs being created and we have housing prices back up. The economy's turned around. Certainly we're in better shape since the recession. So how come the stagnation in income, how come it doesn't go hand in hand? Dr. Shapiro, thank you for holding. Welcome back. And please continue your explanation of this. Well, let me make it kind of short and sweet. And that is um, competition is so strong now because of globalization. And information technologies um, can take over so many jobs, that um, businesses find that when their costs rise, like their health care costs and their energy costs, it's very hard to pass along those additional costs in higher prices. That's why inflation has been so low. And as a result, when business costs go up in this period, uh, because of the intense uh, intensification of competition from globalization and from the use of the Internet and, and information technologies, businesses have to cut other costs, and the costs they've been cutting are wages. Uh, that's essentially what's happened. Businesses um, find themselves in a squeeze, and they've transferred that squeeze to the workers. 
What about those on the right that say this squeeze is only and has only come about because of Obamacare? Well, that's ridiculous. It, uh, you know, that's a, it's a partisan attack, but it has nothing to do with reality. The fact is that health care costs, uh, the increase in health care costs have slowed pretty dramatically since Obamacare uh, 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 came in place. Um, and um, these are uh, econ- large economic dynamics that Obamacare has very little effect on, except insofar as it, it slows the rate of increase in medical costs. And that's happened. If... if- President Obama summoned you or Wall Street or whoever the powers are that be uh, that could make this decision. Well, I guess I, I ask you, how, how would you make corporations increase incomes? Where would well, be that dangling carrot, that incentive? And basically, okay. who is in charge of increasing the incomes? I mean, well, does the private sector look at the public or public look at the private or does it go hand in hand? Look, it's got to be – look, the – What's happened is that the terms of the private economy have changed because of technology and because of globalization, and our policies have to have to recognize that and respond to it. Um, that means, for example, if um, look, we have found, for example, that uh, productivity is beginning to slow, rates of innovation have begun to slow, and that corresponds to. Uh, that comes after 10 years of first Bush and also under Obama, deep cuts in support for basic research and development, which was a hallmark of the Clinton administration and the Reagan administration, for that matter. So one of the things we need to do is more public investment in basic research and development. We need more public investment in modernizing infrastructure because that contributes to the productivity of every business. Uh, and that's not just roads and bridges. That's uh, light rail systems within, across most metropolitan areas, and uh, broadband access everywhere. Um, uh, in addition, if it's if energy costs and healthcare costs are squeezing out wage gains, then the government needs to do even more to help contain both of those. And in the case of energy. What you do is you focus incentives to produce more energy on those forms of energy in which we don't have to deal with a global price, because we're not going to have much effect on the global price. But if there's a national price, as there is for wind and solar and nuclear um, and biomass, because these things are not traded on global markets, if we focus our... Uh, production incentives on um, those types of fuels, then you get um, uh, expansions that bring down prices. Uh, We can't affect the global oil price, but we can affect the price of uh, nuclear energy or solar energy by producing more of it. So, But the political guts of this is that we are seeing across both parties um, uh, a rejection or a rising discomfort with the establishments of both parties. We see that in the surprising success of Bernie Sanders. 
And we certainly see that in spades in the startling success of Donald Trump. And this, uh, this is a result of the, the perceived failure of the government to carry out its basic responsibility, which is to ensure that if you work hard, you can get ahead. Today you work hard and you lose ground. Well, um, that's, that's caused enormous anger in the American public, and we are seeing it being played out in this election. And I frankly think that those people who think, you know, they thought Donald Trump would fade in a month, and now they think he'll fade in three or four months, he may never fade. Is this um, you talk about the appeal of Bernie Sanders uh, to those mm-hmm. on the left or the rise of his numbers in the polls? Do you feel that's why Donald Trump is on top? And I, I say that because there's been no specific policy by Donald Trump or, quite frankly, anyone um, right. on a right or left about the economy. Um, if, if anything, Absolutely. I think I think the crowd and the media and our society right now are pulling everybody in different directions, whether it's uh, Black Lives Matter uh, illegal immigration because, you know, someone loses their life in San Francisco. In other words, the if you look at the polls, and you know this, doctor, if you look at the polls, Americans care, number one, probably two, three, and even four, about the economy and issues related to the right. economy, but we're not hearing these um, contestants, if you will. Uh, we're not hearing no, we're um, not. these candidates talk about the economy, which is the most important thing to Americans. That's right. But what we do have at this stage in the campaign is certain candidates who embody the public's broad frustration and anger, and in particular, anger at the establishment of the parties. Look, I have been an advisor to the Clintons for longer than a lot of your listeners have been alive since the late 80s. Um, And, you know, Bill had a brilliant presidency, and I think Hillary could too. Uh, But the fact is, they are the establishment, and so is Jeb Bush. Um, And Bernie Sanders uh, is out there saying the American establishment has failed, and so is Donald Trump. He's saying the American establishment is stupid, Uh, and that's resonating. Now, at some point, um, uh, these candidates who are basically protest candidates um, uh, will have to come for come come forward with some specifics, and uh, that may be very hard for both of them. Uh, but right now, they they are protest candidates, and what's startling is how broad the audience or constituency is for protest candidates. Okay, so right now, the majority of people that feel this way, the majority of voters, um, you know, registered or, you know, just the American public, if they've never voted before, aren't currently registered, are the minority that are making the most noise going to overshadow that? In other words, in the past, it was the economy stupid. Is it still the economy stupid, Dr. Yes. Shapiro? Yes, the economy is the underlying issue in all this anger, uh, but the um, that plus on the right some element of race. But um, uh, as the as the campaign matures, <laughs> uh, 
uh, it will be, again, the economy stupid. And we will get something quite, I expect, quite, unless Trump is a Republican nominee, um, something quite like the campaigns we've seen in the last two rounds, and that is a uh, Democratic program of targeted assistance uh, for training, for education, for infrastructure, for child care, and so on, versus a Republican appeal for lower taxes. Uh, those Neither of those in themselves will solve the problem, frankly, but those are the terms in which our parties tend to fight out economic issues in this period. Democrats, uh, uh, Dr. Shapiro, Democrats in the past were very successful. Uh, we saw it with de Blasio and other um, successes a couple of years ago in the midterm elections, uh, focusing on something that left and right agree on and are uncomfortable with and bothered by and know mm-hmm. could be catastrophic to our society, and that is the uh, income inequality, the disparity in wages between uh, yeah. the haves and the have-nots. Um, is this something that the Democrats should work harder at bringing back, or quite frankly, even uh, the Republicans, because this is where America lives? Well, I, I think it's a um, – look, I think it's clearly an important issue, and it's but – the, but the foundation of it is the slowdown in income growth across most of the, the uh, population. Uh, the inequality is, is – the rising inequality today is significantly a result of that rather than the other way around. Uh, and so in order, look, we need to talk about it. We need to say, uh, since we have to expand public investments in a lot of areas to, to make the economy more productive and get incomes growing again, uh, that um, uh, the burden of that should be borne by those who uh, can most easily bear it, which is to say high-income people. Uh, and so that's part of the discussion. Um, but the real issue, you know, income inequality was rising pretty rapidly in the 80s and 90s. But because most people's incomes were also rising, nobody really cared much. It becomes a huge issue when income inequality continues to increase, but it's increasing because most people's incomes are either stagnating or falling while those at the top are rising very rapidly. Um, So if we can, look, the country can tolerate uh, inequality um, so long as everybody is doing better Um, as a practical matter. That's what we see. And I think that's pretty resonant with the American character. Um, When you can't tolerate it is when most people's incomes uh, are stagnating or falling. Let's talk about China. Donald Trump likes to talk about China. Mm-hmm. Doesn't like to talk about made in China inside anything that says Trump on it, pretty much. <laughs> uh, but, but China is in the midst of a slowdown, and, and you feel that this is a sign of labor unrest, correct? Can you speak to that? Well, um, it certainly produces labor unrest. The um, uh, China has this big employment problem, and the problem is that um, they are trying to modernize their agriculture sector, which is huge. 
and in and still employs a majority of Chinese. Um, and but to do so, the way you modernize it is by making it more capital intensive, which is to say, a lot of farmers lose their lose their jobs or their livelihoods. And so you've had for years, for decades now. Um, uh, an average of about 10 million people a year who leave the countryside for the cities. And so you have to generate jobs not only for those 10 million, but also for the additional millions who are aging into the workforce. Um, now, that's a little less than it used to be because the one-child policy of 20 years ago is producing a shrinking new entrants into the labor force. But you still got a problem of tens of millions of jobs, generating tens of millions of jobs every year. And politically or socially, that was the importance of maintaining 8 to 10% growth, which China did for 20 years. Um, and that's why it poses a problem today. That is, if, you, uh, if you've got 4 to 5% growth, then you're going to have fast-rising unemployment, and then you get social unrest. And you get social unrest in China because there's no other way to express your opinions. There's no free press. There are no congressional elections. There are no interest groups. The only thing you can do is go out in the streets. And so there are literally between 150 and 200,000 protests of 100 people or more every year in China. Now, it's a very big country. Yeah, and, and, China, and the Chinese like to put a kibosh on that. Unfortunately, i got to put a kibosh on us right now, uh, Dr. Shapiro, because we're out of time. But you know we'll have you on again. We love having you on. Always learn a lot as we have today. Thank you. Dr. Robert Shapiro can be followed on Twitter at Rob Shapiro, S-H-A-P-I-R-O. His website is sonicon.com. That's S-O-N-E-C-O-N, where he is chairman. They're an economic advisory firm. Check it out. You can also, uh, on his uh, Twitter page, read a lot of his great writings and his blog.